0: Well, I'm going to start a series, and I've been asked this question a lot of times in my life, being raised up in a Baptist church, and some of you were raised up in a Baptist church, and I have people ask me this question all the time. How many of you have heard, and some of you you may have been raised up in a church that taught this, how many of you have heard the principle or the story, once saved, always saved? Once saved, always saved, you know, so... I heard that all my life in a Baptist church. I never really studied it out in detail. But you know, there's so many things that you read and study in the Word of God that you think, you know, if this is really true, then in the Baptist church, and I was in a Baptist church so many years, now this is a fallacy of teaching once saved, always saved. People come in and they get saved. And then when they're 10 or 11 or 6 or 10 or 11, what do they get saved? And they hear this nonsense taught that once saved, always saved. All of your sins have been paid for, past, present, and future. Well, that's true to a degree. But what it leads, what it gives young people and even older people an option to do is, I don't want to go to church and I don't want to do this or I don't want to go to Sunday school or Bible study, or I don't want to study the Word of God. I got saved when I was 15, so now then I'm okay. I can live out there in the world and do anything I want to do, and there's no problem. If I die, I get to go to heaven. What a blessing. I've heard that and seen that all my life. This last week I was talking with a woman, and I was telling her about what God was putting on my heart to teach about once-saved Always saved. And she said, you know, I am so glad you're going to do that. Because she said, you know, I got saved as a young woman. And she said, you know, I went to church and I loved Jesus. But so when I got about 18, got out of high school, I met a boy. And said, you know, when you're 18 and you're out of high school and he's 19 or 20 and your sexual desires are so high, you think, A little sex here and a little sex there wouldn't hurt anything. And maybe I'll marry him someday anyway. So it wouldn't be too bad. So, you know, she said, so we started having a little sex once in a while. And after we started having a little sex, she said, then one day, so, you know, why don't we just move in together? You know, I mean, you only got one place to live now instead of two. You don't have two apartments. You know, that makes logical sense, doesn't it? So they moved in together. And she said, one day... And I may not tell the story exactly right, but she said, we were completely out of church. So we were sitting there at home one day listening to Christian music. What a wonderful thing to do, living in sin. And she said, I got up to go do something, and I'm walking along down the, I think she said the sidewalk or whatever, and all of a sudden the Lord spoke to her. And she said he called my name. And I'll just use Susie for a name. That's not not the woman I was talking to. But he said, Susie, if you die in the sin you're in today, you're going to hell. And she said, it so startled me. I went back home and I told my boyfriend, it's over. I ain't going to bed with you no more. Never. You ain't touching me again until you're married to me. He said, why? What's the change? She said, I was walking down the street a while ago and God spoke to me in an audible voice and said, Susie, if you die in this sin today, you're going to hell. And she said, it ain't worth spending hell for you. She said, I ain't going there. She said, now, if you want to marry me, then we'll both repent of our sins and we'll get married. Then we can live together. So she said, we both repented and... Until we got married, he never touched me again. But she said, when we got married, then he was my husband, and it was okay. But she said, I am so glad God told me that. I said, he needs to tell a whole bunch more people that. But I said, you know, the thing about it is, he didn't tell us all in his word. We just don't believe him. So I spent six hours last night. Getting some scriptures together, and this morning I got up and spent two or three more hours making the first few pages of the first section of this outline. Because I got a feeling, since it took me six hours just to look up the scriptures, I got a feeling this is going to be about a 30-hour series. It ain't going to be one or two sermons. This is going to be so in-depth, I've never studied it out like I'm studying it right now. But i got enough today to go an hour and a half without a problem. But here's the title of this series. Can you lose your salvation? How many times have I heard people ask me that question? Can you lose your salvation? But Thurman, I'm saved. I'm a born-again Christian. Nobody can jerk me out of his hands. Okay, we're going to find out. What the Word of God has to say about it. I think that's the only way you can do anything is confirm everything by it is written. Don't you, Jerry? There ain't no way you can prove nothing except it is written. God's Word is the final authority on everything. Now then, I'm going to start out in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8. And I'm going to show you something there that is so clear. Now, first, let me ask you this question before I read Hebrews 5. Let me ask you this question. If I have a son, which I really do have, well, let's say I had a son, and I said, son, I'm going to let you start driving the car when you're 16 if you get a driver's license before you're 16. Does that sound reasonable? Now, what if... He says, oh, good, Dad. I He goes out and tells all his friends, when I get to be 16, I'm going to get to start driving the car. Well, he gets to be 16, and he didn't go to driver's ed. He didn't get a driver's license. And he comes running and says, Dad, I'm 16, today's my birthday, where's the keys? What are you going to do? Conditions. Oh, there was conditions. He had to have a driver's license first. Oh, well, he didn't go get the driver's license. In other words, he didn't obey daddy, did he? No. He didn't obey daddy. I'm going to show you what the Word of God says about these same things. And I'm going to prove it. Now, I want you to listen. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. We're talking about Jesus there. And being made perfect, verse nine, he became the author of eternal salvation. Does your Bible say that? Yes, He became the author of eternal salvation, but it doesn't stop there, does it? No. Unto all those that oh, there's a condition yeah. yes. to all those that obey him, just like me giving him the keys to the car when he's 16. Only if he went out and went to school and got a driver's license. Yes, yes, then he gets the keys to the car. And as long as he has the driver's license, he can drive the car. Yes. But now then, let's say he got the driver's license and he got the car. But let's say three years after that, he decided he wanted to be a little reckless and he got to driving a little fast, he got a few speeding tickets, and the police officers or the judge, withdrew his driver's license. Guess what daddy's going to do to the car? I'm going to withdraw the car. You better believe it. As long as that car belongs to me, I'm going to withdraw that car because he no longer has a driver's license. Now, I'm going to prove to you from the Word of God without a doubt in the weeks to come, and I'm going to use this heading For every one of these messages, because I want every CD, I want on every cassette tape, I want on every DVD, I want on every video, I want everybody to know that eternal salvation is there, but it's only for those that obey the Word of God. It is not unconditional. It's conditional. Jesus couldn't have been no clearer. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all those that obey. He didn't say to all and stop, did he, Deborah? No, he said to those that obey. So there's a condition to eternal salvation. Amen. You know, I've always technically understood this in my spirit. But I really hadn't searched the Scriptures out enough. To be able to confirm it. I mean, I'd read all these scriptures. I knew them. I mean, last night when I began to read this and began to pray and ask the Lord to flood my mind and my heart with scriptures, things began to come at me faster and I could even I thought, wow, Lord, let me quickly... let me get the pen, write down this stuff. I won't be able to remember this. I wrote down two full pages of just scriptures. I mean, I mean, I, I was just writing, you know, Hebrews, Hebrews 5-8. And then, and then I'd start down, and then I'd go to another one. And I mean, I might have several verses. When I go back and read that, I might find several verses in here, which you're going to see there is several. I'm not going to stop with one verse. The Lord start with Hebrews 5.8, and then it may take me 15 or 20 minutes just to read, or 10 minutes to read all the Scripture, and then all of a sudden he take me to another place. And another one, and another one, and another one. And before I quit last night at midnight, I had two full, long, notebook pages full of just scriptures. That's why I'm telling you this is going to be some kind of a series. And who knows what else God's going to give me. But that's just what he gave me last night. And one night. Now listen. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And then verse 10 says, called of God, a high, Called of God a high priest... After the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. Many people are dull of hearing in the church today. Many. They don't want to hear God's word. They got their ears stopped up. They don't want to hear it. Now, they want to hear the things that, what they want to hear, but they don't want to hear the things they don't want to hear. So, they kind of slough them off. Well, you know, I heard somebody say that, but yeah, I don't believe that. Or they even read another word of God and said, "But you know, but God said that, but I'm not sure He meant that." Well, let me tell you, if God said it, He meant it. Amen. You know, so if I can back up everything with the Word of God, then there's no excuse. It says, verse twelve: "For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which he the first principle, which be the first principles of the oracles of the Word of God." And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Now think about this. You're a Christian. You got saved when you was 11 like I did. When you're 25 years old, what are you doing? Are you in church serving God, studying, learning, working? Are you out there in the world running around drinking, carousing, living out of wedlock with somebody? Are you doing all the things saying, I'm saved, I'm okay. I go to church when I want to. It's a beautiful day today. I'd rather go to the lake in my boat than to go to church. See, the Lord says here, when we should be teachers, we're still on milk. Unfortunately, I have walked into men that were 50, 60, and 70 years old that were still milk-fed babes because they don't know anything about the Word of God let me ask you a question. The company that you work for or whatever you do, if you went to school to be or to learn how to do something, whatever you do, if you go in and they check you out and they say, you know, let me see your grade transcripts or I'd like to know where you graduated from. What kind of grades did you make? Did you go to college? Oh yeah, I got a master's degree. Okay, good. You, you, we, that's very good. Let me look at your grades. Well, how long did it take you to get that master's degree? Only 15 years. 15 years? You got a master's? Let's go back and look. Well, I had trouble with English. You know, I failed it four times, but I finally made it through with a 70. And, and history, I took it three times, but I finally made it with a 72. i Fill out your resume and leave it with us and we'll check it out. But you walk in and say, you got a master's? Oh, yeah, don't tell me four years to get my master's. Can I see your transcripts? Your grade transcripts? Sure. Um, and, you know, I am really hate to see this one. It's only a 92. You know, everything else, 96, 98, 99. Those were I wanted. I wanted to try to master everything since I'm going to be a master at everything I do. They said, you're hired. What would you like salary to start? We normally pay this much. Well, I couldn't work for that. Oh, you couldn't have much more would you like to have? Do you know that? That's the way it works. That's the way it works. They want people that's dedicated. I know when I came to down here to Braniff, I was going to go to work for the airline with the education I had. And I really studied in school. I mean, I made great grades. So when I was going to work work for them, they wanted me to be an instructor because I had done some instructing in one of the schools. I told them, no, 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 I don't want to be an instructor. I said, I I know how much you have to study to be an instructor, and I'd rather just be a normal engineer. They said, no, we we want you to teach it. I said, I'm not interested. And they said, I said, I can do this and go home and do what I want to do, and this pays this much money. And they said, but, you know, we would really love for you to do this, do the teaching. I said, well, okay, I'll go over and talk to him." I went over there, and the guy offered me, I think i think they were going to pay me $500 a week. Or I forget now what it was. $500 a week, I think it was, to be a normal uh, engineer there. But yet to teach it, the guy offered me $100 a week more. I told him, I'm not even considered it. And he'd already called and checked the school where I'd been. And evidently, they give him an extremely good uh, appraisal of me. He said, what would you like to have to be an instructor? I said, I wouldn't even think about it for less than 7 50 He said, you're hired. <laughs> I thought, good grief, I should have asked him for 1000 <laughs> See, I sold myself too cheap. I thought I was going way up there, but he didn't even argue. Why? Because I'd done so good and had such great, great ratings. Now, if he'd have called a friend and said, well, he wasn't very good, he just barely made it. Hey, they wouldn't have been interested in me, wouldn't they, Benjamin? No, they're not interested in you. They want somebody that can go above. That's what they want. But right here in the Word of God, this is the same way we are. I mean, I made a statement with a lady the other day that still goes to a Baptist church that I went to for years up in Justin. She, I walked in and she saw me. She said, Thurman, praise God. She come over and grabbed me and hugged me right quick. And she said, you know, we sure do miss you in the Baptist church. I said, isn't it wonderful what God done up there? She said, it is amazing the answers to prayer that he did for us when you were there. I said, yeah, it's so wonderful to serve God like that. She said, Why I wonder why he did it with you and he doesn't do it for us. I said, well, i tell you what let's do. Next Sunday, let me come up there to your church and let's... Ask the congregation, let's take them one by one and let's bring them down here in front and let's let them stand before the congregation and give us their favorite 50 verses in the Word of God, book, chapter, and quotation. She said, there's not, nobody could do that. I said, that's why God don't answer their prayer. They've not spent the time with him. They're not diligent. They don't know the Word. I said, I know. I was one of those normal Baptist Christians for 40 years of my life. And I never saw him answer a prayer and do anything either. But when I started reading and studying and hiding the word in my heart and becoming one with him, then he started answering me and does great things. So I said, you know, here we are. Some of you, like you, for instance, are on up there in years. This lady, probably pretty close to as old as I am, maybe older. No, I don't think she's older. But anyway, she's up there. And... You know It's amazing how we don't know the Word. And so, if we don't know the Word, I mean, you may go to school, you may have a a degree or a master's degree or a Ph.D., but that's not important when it comes to God. If you don't know His Word, then you're a babe in Christ and you don't know nothing. And God says right here in Hebrews that you are still a babe milk-fed. Now, see, that's why we don't get anything from God. If you were going to go try to go to work for somebody else and you didn't know any more than that, they would not hire you, you know. But if you walk in and you had, let's say you've already been doing whatever you're doing for 10 years or 15 years and you decide to change jobs. And they call back and say, what kind of an engineer was this guy? Wow, he was the best one or whatever you do. He's the best we ever had. We don't want to lose him. It's just like one day I was out in Phoenix, and I was trying to hire a guy. And I talked to this guy, and man, he was brilliant. He knew all the answers. I thought, wow. Why did, I thought to myself, why did he get laid off? I got to call this company he came from and see what the deal is. I called over, and I said, do you know Jimmy Rex wrote? And the lady said, oh, yeah. He worked for us for years. I said, well, he got laid off over there. She said, oh, yeah, he got laid off over here. I said, "Ma'am, I know and we're not supposed to ask a lot of questions, but I said I want to know. You know, would you hire him back?" "Oh, no. Couldn't possibly couldn't hire him back." I said, "Ma'am, I don't understand this. I just talked to this man and he's brilliant." He knows everything. I asked him. And I don't. I've not talked to an engineer lately that had all the answers. He's got. Why would you not hire him back? She said, "Well, that's why we had to lay him off. We don't have enough work, so we had to lay him off." Said he's one of the best engineers we had. I said, "Oh, so if you had the work, you'd be happy to put him back on?" She said, "We'd hire him back in a second." Wow. That's what I was waiting to hear. Wow. I hired the guy. The guy worked for me. He was brilliant. I made him a, 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 put him in charge of a whole operation. And then later put him in charge of the whole region from California all the way over to the Phoenix area and give him about a dozen shops to take care of. And the guy had done an awesome job for me all the years I worked for that corporation. Because he was brilliant. See? Now, I had several other men working for me, but I didn't give them that job because they wasn't capable of taking care of that. And when I put a man in that position, then guess who, if he fails, guess who they come back to? Me. What do you mean putting a guy like that over all this? But I want to hear when I walk in the CEO office at Thurman, that engineer you put out there over the California area, that guy's brilliant. Man, he's doing a great job for us. That's what I want to hear. Well, that's what Jesus wants to hear, too. That's the same thing Jesus. He says, but strong meat, in verse 14, belongs to them that are of full age. Now, unfortunately, I know a lot of people that are full age in the church that strong meat's not their... They can't take of strong meat because they don't believe the Word of God. They don't believe it. What a shame. But it says, But strong meat belongs to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, if you're a child of God, if you're a child of God and you have been feeding yourself on strong meat, which is the Word of God, You are very well able to discern good and evil. Some guy walks up to you and says, You know, I'll be able to, let me give you a little something under the table here and you do this little job for me. And you say, Oh, no, I don't, I'm not that kind of guy. I don't go there. I don't take that. But how many people that are Christians that fall to those things? Far too many. Why? Because they're not able to discern right and wrong. I mean, you look in the church, how many people do you know in the church that are either having sex with somebody that they're not married to? In fact, there was a lady called me the other day and wanted me to pray for a young girl in their church that's pregnant. I said, well, what you need to do is go to the pastor and talk to him, tell him he needs to start teaching on fornication. She said, Thurman, the pastor of our church is married and has four children, And he is the father of this child. That's what I said too. A pastor that's not a not able to discern good and evil. I don't want that guy as my pastor. Do you? I mean, if he's having sex with a twenty-something-year-old single girl and got her pregnant, and he's got a wife with four kids, I don't want that man as my pastor. She said, "This gets out, it'll cause a divorce and it'll bust the church." I said, "It needs to be busted." You know, this guy's got to be, it's got to be told. I said, he's not a man of God. You don't know how to discern good and evil. You know, can you imagine that? I can't. Then he tells us after learning how to discern both good and evil, in chapter 6 he goes on. And he says, therefore leaving the principles, after he's talking about this, therefore leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ which we're all supposed to know. Let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrines of baptism and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Now, I want to read that in the Living Bible, the same verse, same verses. In the Living Bible, Hebrews 5, 4 says, There is no use trying to bring you back to the Lord no, that's not the ones I want. I'm sorry, I didn't put that in there. I skipped that one. Okay, that's not where I wanted. Okay, so anyway, I'm only going to read it in the King James. Verse 4, after, in other words, what he's trying to tell us there in verses chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, that we're supposed to know what the principles of the doctrines of Christ are. We're supposed to know of the, all about the foundation of repentance from works, from dead works, and faith toward God and of the doctrine of all the baptisms, and of the laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. We're supposed to know and understand these are the basic principles of the kingdom of God, which every Christian should know. But I've come to realize most of us don't know those things either, because we've not been taught them. But they're basic things as far as God is concerned in His Word. And then he says in verse 4, "...for it is impossible..." Now, remember, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. It's a scary verse if you read it. This is very, very scary if you really take it at face value. For it is impossible. Does anybody know what it means to be impossible? If God said it's impossible, hey, it's impossible. Now, You know, with God, all things are possible, but God is telling you and me today that if we do what he says right here, it's going to be impossible for this to happen, what he's fixing to say. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, who were once enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God and of the powers of the world to come. Who does that sound like he's talking about? A lost person or a saved one? I mean, that's not a normal saved one, is it, Deborah? I mean, what kind of a saved person do you think that would be? A Spirit-filled, own fire. I mean, a, a person that knows Jesus, right, Elaine? I mean, this is not a normal Christian. How many people do you know that meet that criteria? I don't know very many, but that's where we're all supposed to be. That's where we're supposed to be. If, if we were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and that's Jesus, He's the heavenly gift, and we were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and we have tasted the good Word of God and the powers of the world to come. I mean, that's where we're all supposed to be walking as children of God. This is normal. For the church, if you've studied and read the word and believe it. Because he said, verse 6 says, If you should fall away. Now wait a minute now. If you shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh. And put him to an open shame. Now then, do you want to be a spirit filled Christian and fall away from God? No. You want to turn your back on him? God. So this nonsense that the church talking about, well, yeah, I mean I did a little sin today, so I'm lost. But tomorrow I'm going to repent and I'm going to be saved again. No, that is not true. That's not true. You can't be lost and saved and lost and saved, and lost, and saved. Now, if you, if you make a little mistake, are you lost? No. I mean, if you make a little mistake, you've sinned, and you've failed from grace, and the devil has legal right to you, but you're still a child of God at this point. But who wants to have the devil come upon you, and start putting in sickness and disease upon you? Or torment you and your finances? I don't want to go there. I like to walk in divine health, don't you? I like to walk... In God, I like to walk in the secret place of the Most High God. Amen. You know, it's amazing how many people don't understand that. I had a person just recently ask me, a man, an elderly man, was reading that scripture in Psalm 91. And he said, You know, to them that dwell in the secret place of the Most High God. Yeah. And he stopped me and he said, What does that mean? I thought, wow, how many people don't know what it means to dwell in the secret place of the Most High God? You know what it means to dwell in the secret place of the Most High God? It means to serve Him, to put Him first in everything you do, and His Word to be a part of you, just like, I mean... You dwell a whole lot at your workplace. If you, in a 24-hour day, if you're a normal 8 or 10-hour-a-day person, you dwell 8 to 10 hours a day at your job. If you don't, they fire you pretty quick. If you go to work and you're walking around, the boss says, what are you doing? Well, I'm over here. To, I'm going to get a drink. And 15 minutes later, you come back and you're over here and says, what are you doing? He says, I- I'm fixing to go get a cup of coffee. And at the end of the day, he said, what did you get done today? Well, let's see. Uh, m- let me think. Uh, oh, yeah, I got this done. He said, that's 10 minutes worth. What else you do today? Well, that's all I got done today. i worked hard today, chief. Uh How long do you think you're going to stay on that job? No. But every time he comes out, he sees you. You're busy. You're zipping around. You're doing things, getting things done. You're doing a good job. Or whatever you're doing, you got great appraisal reports. They're going to do everything they can to keep you, aren't they? Sure. Because you're dwelling with them eight hours a day. Well, to dwell with God, he expects you to dwell with him 24-7. And everything you do, everything you say, and everything is to be based around the word of God. You're dwelling in the king, not in the world. But if you fall away as that spirit-filled Christian, once you've tasted of the heavenly powers and you've walked in it, I mean, you've seen it. I mean, you've seen God do awesome things. You've raised the dead. You've cleansed the lepers. One day you say, Ah, oh, that's alright. I'm going to quit going to church. I don't need that no more. I am not going. I don't have to have that no more. I'm okay. I got saved. I've walked in that power now. I don't have to stay in the Word. I can just go out there and I can hang it up. I can buy me a new motor home. And me and my wife can just travel across the country and just see the country. And I can forget about Jesus. You know how long that man's going to live? In fact, I met a man similar to that one time. And I sat down with that man and I told him, I said, you know, sir, your wife is on fire for Jesus. He said, I know, you know, he said, I'm saved. You know, I got saved. She led me to Christ a few years ago, but said she's the on fire person in our home. said, you know, I would not rather just stay home and let her go out and minister and do all that stuff. I said, sir, you've got to produce fruit for the kingdom. Amen. I said, my wife produces enough fruit for both of us. Yeah. I came back down here, and on Sunday, I preached a message, and I said, I met a man, and I told this story. And I said, I'm going to guarantee you in six months, that man will be dead. But guess what? In three weeks, his wife called me and said, he died this week. He was dead in three weeks, not six months. I knew he wouldn't last long because he was producing zero food for the kingdom of God. So he was dead in three weeks after I talked to him and told him what he had to do, and he refused. So the Lord took him out. Isn't that amazing? Hey, this is not a game we're playing here on this earth. This is life and death. You know, this is This is really scary. When you stop. If God wasn't merciful and gracious, you know how many of us would be here today? Not one of us. None of us. If He wasn't merciful and gracious, He would have already killed me a long time ago. You too, huh, Deborah? Oh, you know that too, don't you, girl? Huh? Yeah, I know. I mean, I know He's merciful, and I'm grateful for that mercy. And now that I've learned these principles, Lord, that's why I work from can to can now, to make up for the stupid things I did in the past. If that's possible, but I ain't going to go there, I ain't going to go back to where I used to be, because now I have tasted this world to come. I have lived here. What if I turn my back on him now and walk off? Oh God forbid, what is that? What, according to that, what does that say that does to me eternally seals my fate? Now, can I come back again and get saved again? Can I? According to this, he said, I can't. He said, if I met the criteria of walking in his gifts and tasted all these things, if I fall away, it is impossible for you to come back. Amen. I won't take you back. Right. Is that what the Word says? Amen. Yes, is that scary? Yes, it is. But that's what it says. Yes, it is. For it is impossible, verse 4, For those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh. And how many times was He crucified for your sins? Once. And when you accepted Him, you got Him once. Now then, if you obey Him, He is the... He is the author of eternal salvation to everybody that obeys Him. So, it's kind of scary if you think about disobeying, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Kind of very scary. But see, first of all, the criteria is you've got to meet all of this criteria of being filled with the Spirit and all that stuff. Most people don't reach there never in their life. Aren't you glad? Because... In those years that you fell away and you're doing something else, if you had been that spirit-filled Christian, you can't come back. But thank God that most people that do fall away are not those people. They're not those people. Because how many people do you know that backslid, that live in the world, they came back to Jesus and accepted him, he pulls you right back in? How many of you know that's what's been there? Hey, I never did really fall away from him. I'm grateful. I mean, I am so grateful that I've never had a time. And you know what I hate? I hate for somebody to come in. I, I, and I, I just, I really hate this. When somebody comes in and says, well, you know, yeah, I, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And then I served him for five years. And then I got to be 18 years old. And then I went out in the world. And, and I lived around with, supper around with every woman I could find for the next 10 years. And I was on drugs and every kind of alcohol there was and every kind of drug there was. And I was down in the pit of hell. And I did all those things for 10 years or 15 years. And I mean, I was really, really out there in the devil's world. But finally, one day, Jesus came along and picked me up and saved me. You know, you sure did give the devil a lot of glory and you give Jesus very little. You know what? As born-again, spirit-filled Christians, what we as Christians should do is teach people when they get saved who they are and what they can do. And they should never have that time of backsliding. Never. They should never be a backslidden Christian. But we can teach them, well, once you got saved, it's okay now. If you want to go out there and sow your wild oats, God understands. No, he does not understand. And I'm going to prove it to you from the Word of God. But you better be glad you didn't get to be one of those spirit-filled, on-fire Christians he's talking about. And then you turned your back on him, because if you did, you're eternally lost. And you're going to spend eternity in hell. That's scary. But I'm going to show you some other things now. He gives us an example here. And he says, in fact, I'm going to read this out of this uh, NIV that I've got here. Uh, not the NIV, excuse me, the Living Bible, the, the, the living one. I, I wish to... I've got to get me a copy of this new NLT on my computer. I don't have that one uh, yet, but I'm going to have to get it because it's an updated version of the Living Bible, and it's much better. But anyway, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 4, in the Living Bible, it says, There is no use trying to bring you back to the Lord again if you have once understood the good news and tasted for yourself the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit. And you know how good the Word of God is, and you felt the mighty powers of the world to come, and then have turned against God, you cannot bring yourself to repent again if you have nailed the Son of God to the cross again by rejecting Him, holding Him up to mocking and to public shame. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Pretty clear. Then he says, gives us this example about a farmer. Start in verse 7, says, When a farmer's land has had many showers upon it and good crops come up, that land has experienced God's blessing upon it. Amen. That's what he's talking about there. But, said, but if it keeps on having crops of thistles and thorns, he's giving us an example of the two different kinds of people we're talking about here. Amen. The land is considered no good and is ready for condemnation and burning off. Dear friends... Even though I am talking like this, I really don't believe that what I am saying applies to you. I hope this doesn't apply to none of you in here in this room. See, he's telling us what is possible. It is possible to turn your back on God as a spiritual Christian and be eternally damned. But he said, I don't believe this happens. This is you. I don't believe none of you have done this. And I pray and hope that none of you have done that, or you probably wouldn't be here today in the first place if you'd met that criteria. You'd probably be out there in the world, and the last thing in your mind would be being in church listening to somebody talk about the Word of God. But he says, Dear friends, even though I'm talking like this, I really don't believe that what I am saying applies to you. I am confident you are producing the good fruit that comes along with your salvation. Amen. Now, what's supposed to follow your salvation? Good fruit. You're supposed to be producing fruit for the kingdom of God Amen. as a child of God. You're not supposed to be out there living in the devil's world. It just blows me away when people... I have never, ever lived there when some people say, "Yep, yeah, Thurman, I got saved, but let's, let's go down to the bar down here. In fact, one night, a friend of mine came from Oklahoma. At that time, he professed to be a Christian. And he was married, of course, and I was married. Betty was my wife at the time. It was years ago. And we come down to Dallas to some kind of a meeting. He had a business meeting. And when we got ready to leave, we come to Perry Hines. And he said, I'm going to stop in here. And he pulled into the bar. I said, that's a, that's, a, that's a belly dancing club, a bar. Well, he said, I come to, every time I come to Dallas, I come by here. I said, what? He said, yeah, let's go in. He said, I'll buy you a beer. I said, I don't drink beer. He said, well, I'll buy you a Coke. I said, well, I, I, I said... What are we doing? I said, you mean we're going to go in that place with our wives? He said, well, what's the big deal? I said, well, well, I said, okay. So I went into this place. I went into this place with my wife, with me, and him and his wife. We went and sat down, and there's a girl up there on stage dancing about 90% nude. They come running right over to us, flopped all of her private parts, all around, everything. And I sat there and looked at that, and I said, and you come to this place very often? He said, every time I come to Dallas. I said, you know, I'm sorry. I can't stay in here. I said, we drank this Coke. I don't even drink Cokes anymore, but at least that time I used to still drink Cokes. I don't even drink them no more. But I said, you know, I'll finish my Coke. But I said, let's go. I don't feel, I feel miserable in this place. Well, he was having a ball, and his wife too. Oh, she said, I mean, you know, soften up a little bit. I said, I'm sorry. This kind of softened up, I don't soften up to this kind of nonsense. I've out of this place. Compromise now then, as a son of God that's walking in obedience to God's Word, you should feel miserably uncomfortable in a place like that. Amen. So, I left. We left. All of us left together. And I told him on the way home, I said, I called his name and I said, I'm going to tell you, if we ever come back down here, if you ever come back to visit me again, we will never go to one of these kind of places. I don't don't go to these kind of places. I mean, I felt miserable there. There was a huge difference between me and him. I had something he didn't have. I had the spirit of the living God living in me. And the Spirit of the living God, the minute I tried to walk in the door, he's telling me, No, no, son, no, 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 no. You don't need to be in that place. Amen. Now, if, you, if you're if you a child of God, and you can visit one of those gentlemen's clubs, they call them, with nude dancing, and you can go in there. Let me tell you, you need to get saved. You need to know the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. Because if you can go in there and be perfectly comfortable in that place, there's either something wrong with you, or God has given you a special talent to be able to go in and minister to people that's in that place about Jesus. Now, if I come in there, and you tell me you're in there, and every man you come up to, or every woman, if you're saying, Do you know Jesus? Let me tell you about the King of Kings. Now then, maybe God's really sent you in there for that. Amen. But if you're in there sitting there drinking a beer watching that girl dance naked up there, let me tell you, your mind is somewhere else. Your eyes. You ain't thinking about the kingdom of God. You're a totally different place than me. I can't do that. I won't never do that. And I don't think any Christian should do that. If you're spirit-filled, you will not. Because he says, dear friends, even though I'm talking to you like this, that you could be lost and never saved again, I really don't believe that what I am saying applies to you. I am confident you're producing the good fruit that comes along with your salvation. You're supposed to be doing something good. I thought about yesterday as I walked through the ministry center and I saw all those people, men and women that are out there working. I mean, bending over, doing all this. I thought, this is producing fruit for the kingdom. These people are out here giving their time and they're building their treasures in heaven. They brought money out here. They brought packages out here. And many of them are over there today with Cheryl and they're handing out those gifts to those poor little unfortunate children that have been beat up on by the devil. They're over there showing them what the love of God is. Those people are producing fruit for the kingdom. They were doing it yesterday too. And many have done it. But that's what we're all supposed to be doing. Then he says, for God is not unfair. Praise God. He's not unfair. How can he forget your hard work for him or forget the way you used to show your love for him and still do by helping his children? Now God knows what you're doing. I mean, that day, I I had to repent because one thing I don't want when I get to heaven one day, I don't want God to replay my life and show me walking into that bar on Harry Hines with that girl stripped naked up there dancing. I don't want that in my little storehouse of gifts. You know, I don't want that there. I want that to be, Lord, I repent for that place. I don't even know where that place was. All I know, it was down here somewhere on Harry Hines. But I never went back a second time. I can guarantee you that. And I don't believe in those kind of places. Now then, I will have to say, one day I was driving down Harry Hines, and there was two beautiful ladies dressed, I mean classy ladies, and they were standing in front of a car sitting on the side of the road. I thought their car had stopped for some reason. They looked like two business executive secretaries. So I pulled up in front and stopped and got out and walked back there, and I said, ladies, is there something I could do to help you all? Are you all having trouble? And those two women began to petition me they were prostitutes. I said, my goodness gracious, I certainly didn't thank you ladies for these kind of ladies. I said, can I tell you girls about Jesus? And she said, you're one of those kind? I said, yes, ma'am, I'm one of those kind. And I'd love to tell you about my Savior, Jesus. He can clean you up and straighten you up. They said, that's okay, we don't need you. And they, they just walked off. And so then I went back to get in my car. As soon as I got in the car, this is what the devil hit me with. You better look around and make sure nobody saw you. Because if one of your church Sunday school class happens to come by and see you, they'll say, Look at Thurman. He was, stopped prostit- he was petitioning those two prostitutes. So, I mean, you did. Uh, that next Sunday, I thought, Lord, it's confession time. I had a men's class. I told my guys about this experience that happened during that week. And I'll never forget Cooper McGregor. He was an engineer for TI. He helped develop the guidance systems on these missiles that we got to. He is a very brilliant electronic engineer. And he was in my class and he said, Thurman, I only got one thing to say about you. If I had a drove by there and saw you, I'd have said, There's Thurman. He's trying to lead them two women to Jesus. I said, Bless you, Cooper, bless you. <laughs> but see, you are known by your works, aren't you, Elaine? You are known by your works. Everybody knows where your heart is. If you're out there serving Jesus, they know that's you 24-7. They know you're not going to be... If you were to get caught in the middle of something like that, they'd say, well, I don't know how Thurman got there, but I will say one thing. I know he's there to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's right. God sent him there to try to save those two women. So the Lord says that. Then he says... And we are anxious that you keep right on loving others as long as life lasts so that you will get your full reward. Now, that's what we're supposed to do. I want to get my full reward. I don't want to get half of it or part of it. I want the king to say when I get home, well done, faithful servant. That's all I want to hear when I walk into the kingdom someday. Verse 12, he says, then knowing what lies ahead for you, you won't become bored with being a Christian. Well, let me tell you, if there's anything I don't get bored with, it's being a child of God. If you get bored being a Christian, you need to come visit me. I can set you up on something and get you started in something that will not be boring. I can guarantee you. Nor become spiritually dull and indifferent, but you will be anxious to follow the examples of those who receive all that God has promised them because of their strong faith and patience. I mean, I think about Gloria that works for us in the ministry center. When Gloria came, I heard me on the radio the first time, and she started coming over here. There was a scripture that I used in Colossians 2.15 that when she learned that the devil was disarmed, when I said he's spoiled, and that means disarmed, that means he don't have nothing left, and you got everything over him, man, that girl nearly jumped up and screamed. She said, that's the key, I was missing. Now that I know that devil's disarmed, she said, and she'd already been to seminary and everything. This girl is ordained of God, but I'm telling you, that girl's on fire today. And out there sometimes in our ministry center, you don't even need a telephone to hear her. I mean, she can be back in that back office, and I hear her in the kitchen almost sometimes. And she's praying for people and casting out demons. And I get praise reports every day for God answers that woman's prayers. I'm going to tell you, when you're out there with us, and all the people that have all the needs, they call in and they come visit us. And we talk to them about Jesus. And we see God do all these great and mighty things. Let me tell you, being a Christian is definitely not dull. Hallelujah. If you're about Jesus' as business, it ain't dull. You know, I think, about, I think about that day when I was sitting right there in a chair. All, everybody but a half a dozen people or so has going home. And a little frail, little tiny lady was sitting, probably weighed 110 or 20 pounds. She was sitting in a chair right here, and I was sitting on the other side facing her because I'd been praying for people so long I was kind of tired. So I said, ma'am, would you mind if I sat down? She said, no. I, she said, I said, you want to sit down? She said, yes. So she sat down directly in front of me. Our two chairs were facing each other. Half a dozen people left here. I said, what's your problem, ma'am? Uh, she said, I've you know, I, I got this problem, and I don't feel good. And she began to tell me all the things wrong with her. I looked up at her and I said, It's just a devil, ma'am. I said, You devil of hell? I said, You got your sins repented of? She said, I think so. I think so. So I reached up and I just just kind of looked at her and I said, You devil of hell? Come out of her in the name of Jesus. And she kind of raised her head up a little and I said, What happened? She says, Nothing. And I reached up and grabbed her by the shoulders and shook her one time. I said, You devil of hell? I said, In the name of Jesus, come out of her. When I did that woman's eyes caged and she jerked out of my arms, and screamed and picked her foot up and kicked that chair right there, right between my crotch. And my chair didn't move and hers went all the way into that curtain right over here. Let me tell you, things don't get dull in church. <laughs> and then I jumped up and run across there and she's screaming and attacking me. And I called Wally and Wally come over there and me and him both wrestled with that woman right over there on the floor. All over this side of the building for 45 minutes before we got her delivered. Let me tell you, it was anything but a dull day at the Living Savior Church. <laughs> When you're really serving Jesus, when these demons manifest. One day I was out at the ministry center, and a couple come from New Mexico. And I was in there ministering to them, and this woman had so many pains. She'd been in so many things, so many wicked things. I began to exercise my authority, command demons to come out of her. And in just about ten minutes, she'll come running in there. Honey, what's going on in here? I said, why? I said, I'm just casting a few demons out. What's wrong? She said, everything in the place shut down. All the towers quit working. All the printers quit working. All the computers quit working. Everything is going crazy. I said, it's just a bunch of demons. I said, give me another 10 or 15 minutes. We'll be okay. So we got all the demons kicked out of the couple. and got everything. I said, in the meantime, y'all just turn everything off. I'll be through in here in a few minutes. I said, the devils are coming out just flying through everywhere. So we got all the devils kicked out, and after we got them delivered and everything, and prayed for them, and asked the Lord to fill them with the Holy Ghost, they went out, and then I walked out and said, now cleanse and purify this place in the name of Jesus, every demon of hell that's left in here, out in the name of Jesus. I said, Wonder by every machine, every computer. I said, out, you're all out here in the name of Jesus. I said, now turn everything on, it'll work. And everything turned on and everything worked perfect. Let me tell you things, don't get dull when you serve Jesus. Life is full of fun. I mean, you know, it's exciting. Life is exciting when you serve Jesus. Now, it's fun, isn't it, Elder? It's fun to pray and see God answer your prayer. I guarantee it is, you know, when you get to see God do all these signs and miracles and things. It says, that, then knowing what lies ahead. We already read that, for instance, in verse 13, there was God's promise to Abraham. God took an oath in his own name, since there was no one greater to swear by that he would bless Abraham again and again and give him his son and make him the father of a great nation of people. Now see, when God told Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. Well, Abraham's just like us. Okay, Lord, Sarah's going to get pregnant tomorrow. No, 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 that's not my plan. It's going to be a little further down the line, Abraham. Well, next month she wasn't pregnant. Next year she wasn't pregnant. Ten years from now she wasn't pregnant. So one day she said, you know, you must not have heard God. You know, this is kind of, you know, scrivenerology now, you know. But, you know, I can only imagine what she's saying. Abraham, you sure you heard God? Mm-hmm. He said, yeah, honey, I heard God. Well, if you heard God, then where is this baby he promised? Mm-hmm. Well, I know, I know, I know he must have meant use another woman because I'm not able to have babies. Let me go out here and get one of my good-looking young handmaids and bring her in here, and you can lie with her and produce me a baby. you think that was God's will? Absolutely not. But see, when we try to help God, we get in trouble, don't we? I mean, we get in big. See, they couldn't be patient and wait on God's promises. So we're still fighting that battle, aren't we? Absolutely still fighting that battle. But when God made Abraham a promise, He meant it. Now when God makes us these promises, we got to stand on His promises and wait on Him and be patient. But that's something we don't do very well, is patience. You know, I mean, I think about some of the people in here that have waited months for your healing. Of course, I think about Cheryl. God has spoiled my wife rotten. She had so many demons when I married her because of the lifestyle she'd come out of. When I started living with her as a husband... And taking authority over these spirits, and God started healing my wife. He healed her of everything. Every time a demon had manifested, I'd lay my hands on her rebuke, and she'd get healed just like that. And it spoiled her. I mean, some of them take an hour. You know, I mean, a couple of times whenever all these big webs come up on her face, Honey, what is this? I said, No problem, just a bunch of them demons that's coming out of you that's been in you all these years because of where you've lived. I said, Now then I'm going to cast them devils out. I said, I guarantee they're gone. In an hour, all the wealth will be gone on her face. Well, the next day, you know, another bunch of them come up the same way. She called, honey, I got this again. They come up again. I said, no problem, I pray. And, of course, she had faith and believed they were going to be gone in a little while. And they all were. But about three months ago, she started having little bitty spots come up on her face. Come, Honey, honey, quick. She's a very beautiful woman. She don't want a little zit on her face. Not one. I mean, you know, we're spoiled. Come in here and pray. So I prayed, rebuked them. Next morning, they wasn't gone. She looked at me and said, Did you sin somewhere last night? I said, Why? She said, Because they didn't go away. I said, No, God's trying to show you something. You need to be patient. I've not done anything. Every day, I pray over them things, and they get worse. They, They got worse. Have you noticed them, Deborah? She said, Honey, what is going on? I said, It is done you got to learn to be patient. Just like she would not have made a good Sarah. Sarah at least waited many years, didn't she? But Cheryl, she's been spoiled rotten by the king because every time I pray for her, she gets healed just like that. So she thinks this is the way it ought to be. When I tell her, she said, well, this is the way it's supposed to be. If i got a need, God ought to meet it right now. So I said, but his promises are always yes and amen. You just have to learn to be patient. But I don't like these things on my face. I said, I know you don't and I don't like them there, but it's no big deal. They're going to go away because I am not going to confess anything but that. And I'm standing on your word. These things are going away. But, you know, when you've had a man of faith that prays for you and everything he prays for happens within a minute to an hour, then you think that's the way it's supposed to be every time, right? But all of a sudden, when it don't work like that, then the problem is me. You had that sin somewhere. <laughs> no, these are demons you got years ago, and I'm kicking them out. That's just like I was kicking demons out of a woman back there one day during a, a healing school, and there was a man standing back there, and he said, Thurman," after, after we got all the demons kicked out, he said, "Did you see what I saw?" I said, "Well, I didn't see anything. What did you see?" He said, every time you command demons to come out, there was little gray and, and black-looking things coming out of that woman. I said, I didn't see a thing. He said, I even tried closing my eyes, and I could still see them. I said, it was just demons. You know, I mean, every time I commanded them believed, they got to leave. Amen. And so they're coming out. So that's the thing. You've got to realize we can have a multitude of these things. And every time we speak by faith under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the devil has to obey us. But that doesn't mean there's only going to be one devil in you. There could be a lot of them, depending on where you have lived, what you've done. Who knows what you may have done to open the door to these demons? Yeah. Evil spirits of infirmity, unclean devils. You know, people, people live in sin. I'm not realizing that every time you live in sin, you get a multitude of demons. And you've got to kick them all out. So, you stand on the Word. For Abraham was made these promises... Then it says in verse 15, then Abraham waited patiently until finally God gave him a son, Isaac, just as he had promised. So he, he has to learn to wait patiently, and it only took him about 25 years. Would you consider that patience? That's patience. But he kept saying, God promised to give me a son, he's going to give it to me. Then he says, when a man takes an oath, in verse 16, he is calling upon someone greater than himself to force him to do what he has promised or to punish him if he later refuses to do it. The oath ends all arguments about it. God also bound himself with an oath so that those he promised to help would be perfectly sure and never need to wonder whether he might change his plans. So, if He wrote it in this book, it's settled forever. He ain't never going to change it for Benjamin or me or nobody else. It's done. It's written. It means what it says. He has given us both his promises and his oath, two things we can completely count on, for it is impossible for God to tell a lie. Now all those who flee to him to save them can take new courage when they hear such assurance from God. Now they can know without doubt that he will give them the salvation he has promised them. Now, when you come to Jesus and ask him to save you, does he promise to save everybody that comes to him? Yes. yes, he does. And he promises you this salvation as long as you do what? As long as you obey him. As long as you obey him. It's kind of like the car. I promise to give my son a car at 16 if he gets a driver's license. Now then, if... After three years, he loses his driver's license. I take the car back, and he has no car. Now, he's walking. Then he says, this certain hope of being saved is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls, connecting us with God himself behind the sacred curtains of heaven, where Christ has gone ahead to plead for us from his position as our high priest with the honor and rank of Melchizedek. Now then, if you will come to Christ, now I'm going to make this statement just like it was at the top up there a while ago. If you come to Christ for salvation, he will save you every time you do it by faith. Mm -hmm. Now, if you just come and voice this and say, I want to go down the aisle because Johnny got saved. I want to go down and get saved. Well, Johnny really had the word in him, but Thurman just went down. The pastor said, do you want to get, oh yeah, yeah, I want to get saved. You want to make Jesus Lord? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't understand a thing that was going on. Not a thing. So I walked out of there, and when I walked out of there, I left the church. Johnny, he really knew what he was He got saved. He became a new creature in Christ, and he changed. But I went out, and next week my buddy said, Hey, let's go down and rob this store again like we did last week. I said, Sure. What are we waiting on? Let's go. There's a problem. Uh-huh. Ain't no new nature there. No, 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 no. I mean, the guy that robbed the store last week, the candy store, he's not there no more. He died last Sunday at church. Man. I'm a new creature now. I don't do I don't rob candy stores no more. <clears throat> Something happened. But if you go right back to the slop of the world, you didn't get nothing. No, you didn't get a thing. So if you were lying, stealing, cheating, committing adultery, living with somebody out of wedlock, all those stuff, and you come down and got saved... And nothing took place. And tomorrow you're right back in the same place, lying, stealing, cheating, committing adultery, going back to the same bars, drinking the same stuff. All the, you didn't get a thing. No, nothing changed. You, nothing changed. You didn't become the new creature. You need to work on getting saved. When you get saved, there's something you're going to say. Now then, you need to start studying my word. You just become my child. I delivered you from the kingdom of darkness and put you into my kingdom. Now, now you're a different person. Amen. There's something in there that will tell you if you really became a child of God. But see, God promises there to give this salvation to anyone that asks Him by faith. But once you accept that, He expects you to become a different human being. Amen. You ain't supposed to stay the same. No more. Amen. Then He says in Hebrews 10:22. Let's go to Hebrews 10.22. This is back in the King James now. Hebrews 10.22. He said, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is children of the King now. He's washing us with pure water. He's changing us. Says, then in verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For He is faithful that promised. We just read in Hebrews. He's very faithful. He promised. He made all these promises, these guarantees, what He would do if we would walk with Him. He's going to clean us up and make us a new creature. Then He says in verse 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Amen. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Does that include it going, stopping by the beer hall down there and seeing the nude get girl dancing? The, no. Th- that include, no, no, that ain't included in this good works, no, is it? Not at all. Now then, you might share with that woman, if she's that dancer, and you see her come out of that place... And you have to be walking by there. You might say, ma'am, I've got a Jesus that could really change your life. Amen. You know, it's just like yesterday. Cheryl wanted to, some, one of the kids out there wanted a, a football boy's jersey framed. That's what, that's what he wanted for a gift. So we went on eBay and we found a guy that had an Earl Campbell signed uh, jersey. $155 he wanted for that jersey. Just a, just a jersey. Earl Campbell's name signed on it. So we called him, and he was from Houston, but he said, I'm going to be in the Dallas area, and I'll meet y'all at some place, wherever y'all want, and I'll trans- transfer it over to you. So we got there yesterday, and girl Cheryl asked and said, you know, we're doing this for a benefit for Christ Haven orphanage children. Would you be able to give us a little cut on the jersey? He said, No. Okay, so yesterday when we met him, him and his friend, I got out to hand him the money to get the jersey. I told her I ain't letting you go down there to meet this guy down here because there might be two or three of them. I'll go. And I went and when he got out, I said, Cheryl said again, would you mind giving us a little bit of a cut on this jersey sentence for these Christ saving children? He said, no. I said, are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm a Buddhist. That's why I told Cheryl. That's why he ain't giving you no cut, because he don't have the love of God in him. He's got the devil in him, and he don't know nothing about what it is for compassion. So I said, just, just give him his money and let him go. Good. You can't deal with a Buddhist. He ain't got no love or compassion. Or God. I told him, I said, son, what you need is Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know. I've heard of him. I said, no, you need to make Jesus Lord of your life. Yeah, he said, I know. He wanted his money, and he get in the car and left. You know what? I talked to him about Jesus, and you know where that went? <laughs> 40 miles over his head. He don't know nothing about Jesus. He wasn't under no kind of conviction. That's a man of the world. A man of that's serving the devil. He's lost. So, you, know, you want to know why all these people... Like, gosh, there was people... There was a lady that, like I say, read the newspaper, and she called Cheryl crying, said, I want to come out. I want to give a couple of gifts. We want to bring some money out. And she cried twice while Cheryl talking to her on the phone. And then when she came out, she said, I just am so grateful for what y'all are doing for these kids. I said, I don't have to wonder about you and your husband standing here. I know y'all know Jesus, don't you? Oh, yeah, we know Jesus, and we go to church. See, those people had the love of God in their heart, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's yeah. what makes love Jesus, that's right. Love Jesus. That's where all that come from. People that love Jesus, that's got the love of God in their heart, that they will help people. And then when you walk in a store and tell somebody, like this several times sure would walk in a store and say, you know, we're buying these gifts and we want to go to the manager and we're going to buy $50 worth of here or $100 worth of here. Would y'all be able to give us a discount since we're buying it for Christ Haven? And you know what? Several times the manager did. He gave it to him the whole thing. He said, "Here, if you're giving it for Christ Haven, I'm familiar with that organization." He said, "Here, let me just give this to y'all as a gift." Amen. I mean, see, now that's a man that had, or a woman that had, the love of God in their heart. Those are true men and women of God. The love of God shed abroad in their hearts. Then he says, "Let us hold fast." The profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promises. Without wavering. No wavering. If you're a child of God, like I said before, as I've said many times, and I know I'm going to say this many more times in the future, being a Christian is not for wimps. Being a Christian is for men and women of God that's willing to stand up and say, I love Jesus with all my heart. And I'm going to do things for the kingdom of God. And you people can say you going to take Christmas out of You ain't never going to take Christmas out of me. You know, I'm going to talk about my Jesus. I mean, He is my King and my Lord. And I'm going to do everything I can, but I am not bowing to the devil. Hallelujah. I mean, you know, I mean, I've already been there in my job. You know, when they said, you got to stop signing your emails. Praise the Lord. I said, I ain't never going to stop signing my emails. Praise the Lord. And I love Jesus. And they said, well, then we will just fire you. I said, go ahead. I said, I can't think of a better reason to be terminated from a job because I signed my emails. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. God will exalt you. After all, we're not of this world. We're of the world to come. So then he says here, and let us consider one, verse 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now then, how often is a Christian supposed to be in church? Often as you can. Verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together uh, as the manner of some are. We should be gathering ourselves together in the name of Jesus, learning about Jesus. Because if you're out there in the world by yourself, I'm going to guarantee the devil's going to deceive you, and you're not going to ever learn much about Jesus. The devil will see to it. But you get in a gathering anywhere with a bunch of people that's willing to sit down and open the Word of God and read it and study it, you're going to learn something about the Word of God. Because you've got a Holy Ghost there with you that's your teacher. You don't have to have anybody special. Just get a bunch of people, sit down and open the book and say, let's read and see what God's got for us today. And he will show you. And that's why he told you to get together and read the Word and study it on a regular basis. And then in verse 26, here's another one of those verses you don't hear talked about very much in church. It's like Hebrews chapter 6. When we said that first few verses there, verses 4, where it's impossible. You don't hear that preached in church very often either. But this one you don't hear very often either. Verse 26 says, For if we sin willfully, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, did Jesus tell you not to lie? Did you you hear Him say that in His Word? Did He say for you not to steal? Did He tell you not to do any murder? Did He tell you not to covet? Did He tell you not to commit adultery? Did the king tell you to do all these wonderful things? And you've read it and you know it? And then you're going to go do it anyway? You ain't read this verse. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. No more sacrifice. But a certain fearful looking of, looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversary. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. I think that was under the law. If you had two or three witnesses, this man committed adultery. Yep, I agree, that man committed adultery. Stoning, only two people said he did it. If you got a third one, man, you're dead. They just take you out there and they stone you to death. It's over. That's how quick it was. That was under the law. Of how much more sore or punishment. Suppose ye shall you be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that said, Vengeance belongs unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again the Lord shall judge his people. I'm going to tell you, I don't want to be judged by God. I didn't even want my... It didn't take very many spankings with that razor chip that I learned what judgment was like at home. And I didn't want to be judged by my daddy. But to be judged by God? Hey... How do you keep from being judged by God? Straighten your act up and don't sin. That's how you don't get judged. If you make a mistake, you better sin immediately. Now, then, if, let's say you say, Well, yeah, I know it's wrong. I know it's, huh? Oh, okay, oh, okay. excuse me, Elaine. Absolutely. Better repent of your sins immediately, absolutely. Good thing y'all are listening. Praise the Lord. At least somebody in here is listening. Repent of your sins immediately and don't sin. Don't sin. Because did you know that according to the Word of God, once we become children of God, God's Word says we are never to sin again. And He didn't just say that one place. I'm going to show you many places before this series is over. It is all in my outline where God clearly said, once you become my children, you are to have no sin in your life. None. Yeah. And he sat down and told us what we were supposed to do and not supposed to do. And when we sin willfully, after we have the knowledge of the truth, he says there's no sacrifice for sin left. In other words, you sin not really knowing what you're doing is wrong. He said, Lord, I'm sorry I made a mistake there. He said, okay, repent and I'll forgive you. Mm -hmm. But you say, Lord, I know it's wrong to commit fornication. I've been to church all my life, and I'm just a 20-year-old young man. But, Lord, I can't contain myself when I get in the back seat with a pretty girl, and she's willing to go there with me. Mm -hmm. He said, oh, you can't? Okay. Go ahead. It's sure you better really enjoy it, because you're going to pay dearly for that. And then you find out next week something's wrong, and you go to the doctor and you've got an incurable venereal disease. Oh, you can't contain yourself? Let's see what you can do now. You know, that's happening to young people by the tens of thousands in America today. I'm going to tell you, I'll just be honest with you up front. Since I know how people have been in their lives and where they've lived. That's why I told everybody. except God, speak to me and give me a woman. I would never marry a woman. Because there's too many women in the church today that's got incurable venereal diseases. You know that? Many of them have. Why? Because they've been promiscuous. I think about that beautiful young woman that was a virgin. Went through high school. Several boys tried to date her. Nope, I'm a virgin. She went off to college. First year in college, she met a handsome young man. He was a star of the quarterback. He'd been in college a couple of years already. And he was, I'm every girl wanted him. And he could have any one of them he wanted. So he tried to have her. She didn't want to go with him. Finally, he persuaded her. And finally, she fell madly in love with this boy. And he kept pursuing her and trying to get her to go there. And she said, no, I'm a virgin. I want it to be my wedding night. He finally pushed her. And she went there with him one time at her weakest point. And it wasn't long after that she learned that the boy had AIDS. And one year later, she was dead. One year later, she was dead. It really cost her. She knew it was wrong. She knew the Word of God. But she went anywhere because of his persistence. And she paid the price. She willfully sinned after she had the knowledge of the truth. And it cost her her life in a year. If you're still alive, you're fortunate. You better be grateful that God's a forgiving God. Because I can look at us starting right here on the front. And it doesn't necessarily what kind of sin I have to name. But a single one of us standing here, that hadn't committed some kind of sin since we got saved. God could have took any one of us out, but He's gracious and mighty. And if He wasn't, I can tell you, after Betty and I got married, I mean, that's one thing I never did. I never run around Betty, not one time in my 41 and a half years. I can sit here before you and say, between God. I never run around on my wife. Never, and I won't never run around on my wife. There ain't no woman in the world I'd go to bed with while I'm married to a woman. And in the three years I wasn't married from time Betty to Cheryl, I guarantee I didn't even date a woman. And the reason I didn't is because I thought I might fall for some woman. I might ask her to marry me, and she might not be the right one. And who knows what she might have. And I didn't want her problems. You see where I'm coming from? <laughs> to go to bed with a woman today in this world we live in? Forget it. I ain't going there. Not unless God tells me. I ain't going there. Too many of them got something. But you, if a woman, do better not go to bed with a man because too many of them got something too. Guarantee it. You know, so you better be careful because these kind of things is what happens to us when we willfully sin after we have the knowledge of the truth that God says, don't do these things. I mean, do we not believe this verse? Does the church not believe this? For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth. I mean, I don't know how you mess that up. If you willfully sin after you've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. None. But a certain fearful looking of judgment and fiery indignation and he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. And of how much more punishment, suppose ye, shall be he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done despite under the Spirit of grace. Who is he talking about? A lost man or a saved person there? Who? A saved one. I mean, if you get anything else. I, was said, I heard that verse preached on... By a big preacher that I have great respect for about 10 years ago. I was watching TBN. And he quoted, he is the only man I've ever heard preach on these verses on television. I'm sure others have done it, but I heard him. And that day when he got through reading those scriptures, I thought, wow, this is awesome for him. I said, "That's as great. And then he got to the bottom of it and he said, the man he's talking about here is clearly an unsaved human being. I thought, wow, one of us is reading a different book. I mean, if he's not talking about a saved man there, I'm, there's something wrong with me. If that's a lost man, hey, Lord, I totally misunderstand your word. But if that's a saved man, then I understand it. Because that's who he's talking about. You and me, as Christians, that willfully sin. I mean, those that are lost. What's God doing to the people that are lost? Is he holding their sins against them at this point? No. He ain't even holding their sins against them. So if you're going to go out and sin, you're better off to be lost. When you're lost, you go out and sin, commit adultery. Sure, yeah, you're still going to get diseases and die and all these kind of things. But this judgment of God not going to come upon you. Why? Because you don't belong to him. You ain't his son. He ain't going to judge you. And what if you die in that sin? What if you die in that sin? You had it then. I mean, you, you didn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You're none of His. So when you die, ain't but one place to go, and that's to hell. Yes, so you really better enjoy all those sins of lying, stealing, cheating, fornication, adultery. You sure better have enjoyed them because you're going to pay dearly for them forever. But God's not going to judge you for those sins while you're doing those things. He said, I don't hold your sins against you at this point. But once you get saved, then He holds our sins against us. Because as children of God, I mean, just think, if you had children, if you had children, and they was across the street breaking out the neighbor's windows in their house, and you saw them, what would you do? Just let them continue to break it out? No, you'd go over there and get them by the neck and think, of, boy, you'd wear their little tail out, wouldn't you? No, what if it was a neighbor's kid breaking their, i oh, forget it. I mean, you, know, you ain't going to go say nothing about No, they don't belong to you, do they? No, you ain't going to be accountable for them. You ain't going to pay for them windows. No, you're not responsible, so you're not going to do anything. But if your kids, your children, man, you're going to do something. That's, that's what happens to us. If we are God's children, if we start sinning willfully after we've known the knowledge of the truth, He is going to get us. He says so, doesn't He? He says so. So what is the secret? Don't sin. Don't sin. Walk holy before God. You don't have to worry about it. don't have to worry about it at all. And in that uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21, in, in the Living Bible, I'm going to read this to you and then we're going to quit for the day. And it says, since this, since this great high priest of ours rules over God's household, let us go right into God Himself with true hearts, fully trusting Him to receive us because we have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And because our bodies have been washed with pure water. That is very easy to understand. Now we can look forward to the salvation God has promised us. There is no longer any room for doubt. And we can tell others that salvation is ours. For there is no question that he will do what he says. As long as we obey him, he's going to bless us. If we disobey him, he's going to curse us. It's quite simple. In response to all he has done for us, let us outdo each other in being helpful and kind to each other and in doing good. That sounds good, doesn't it? Does that sound like children of the king? Yes, it does. That's where we're supposed to walk. Let us not leg- ne- neglect our church meetings, as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that today of his coming Back, again, is drawing near. So when you see somebody at your neighbor, say you're a Christian, and say, yeah, where do you go to church? Well, me and God got a deal. I don't have to go anymore. That's not what the Word says, is it? You need to talk to them and say, hey, if you're really my brother or sister in Christ, you need to be in church. The Lord says we're supposed to be down there studying the Word of God, so we'll learn who we are and what we can do. Well, yeah, but me and God's got a deal. He understands I I can not go to church and I'm okay because I got saved 20 years ago, so I don't have to go to church no more. That ain't the Word of God, is it? No, no not hardly. not early. Now then, this might before we get through this series, you may really come to fully understand that if you enjoy living in the devil's world and you got saved when you was 11, but the last 20 years you lived in the devil's world, and you don't enjoy living with God, and you've been a totally disobedient child. You may be very surprised when you die that you get to see you get to spend eternity with the devil in hell instead of in heaven with God, because you were not obedient. You were totally a disobedient child. I mean, after all, if you enjoy living with the devil down here, and you don't enjoy being in church and worshiping and praise God— you sure ain't gonna enjoy it when we get to heaven, because that's all we're gonna do is worship and praise God. Amen. You know, if you don't enjoy it down here, you sure won't enjoy being in heaven. But well, let me tell you, you ain't gonna enjoy being in hell either. You know, that place is gonna be eternal torment. You know, you ain't gonna enjoy it. I can assure you. So you don't want to go there. Now, if anyone sins deliberately. This is a living Bible now. Same verses. If anyone sins deliberately by rejecting the Savior after knowing the truth of forgiveness, this sin is not covered by Christ's death, and there is no way to get rid of it. Pretty clear, isn't it? Pretty clear. There will be nothing to look forward to but terrible punishment of God's awful anger. And I'm going to tell you, when the King was ticked off in the in the in the uh, Sanctuary there, when he came into Jerusalem, when he got ticked off of what they were doing, was he good to him? No, he picked up some ropes in the flesh and began to beat the thunder out of them. I mean, he t- they ticked him off. I don't want to tick off the king. I mean, he can just, ooh, I don't want to make him mad. There would be nothing to look forward to but the terrible punishment of God's awful anger. Now, a man who refuses to obey. The laws given by Moses was killed without mercy if there were two or three witnesses. Think how much more terrible the punishment will be for those who have trampled underfoot the Son of God and treated his cleansing blood as though it were common and unhallowed and insulted and outraged the Holy Spirit who brings God mercy to his people. For we know him who said, justice belongs to me. I will repay them. Who also said the Lord Himself will handle these cases. Now, if the Lord Himself will handle them cases, I don't want rather anybody handle a case instead of the Lord. Because if He handles it, I know I'm in trouble, Deborah. I'm in trouble, girl. You know that, don't we? Woo. It is a then that last verse, verse thirty-one says, "It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God." Now, how many people have you ever seen? That when they were little children, they did something wrong. And Mama told them five times, if you don't stop doing this, when Daddy gets home, I'm going to tell him. And he is going to get your little bottom. You better do what I tell you. Uh Oh, Mama. I know Daddy's not. He's not going to come home. He's not going to give me a spanking. But when Daddy gets home and you're this little bitty creature and here stands this six-foot Daddy, great big guy. And he walks around the corner and mama says, and she or he would not obey me today. So I told him when you got home, you would give him five licks. And you look down and say, son. And he says, dad. He knows he's in trouble. He knows he's in trouble. Son, I hate to do this. This is going to hurt me more than it does you. Yeah, I know, daddy. I know. And he don't understand that, does he? But you have to do it. You have to do it. Well, see, God don't enjoy reprimanding you and me either, but He knows He has to. Amen. He has to. But if we're obedient and do what He says, then how many times do we spank our children when they're good? No. Never. How many times do you think God's going to punish you if you're good? If you're out there doing things for the kingdom? You're casting out devils, healing the sick, cleansing lepers, raising the dead, winning the lost into the kingdom, out there doing things, loving people for Jesus. What's He going to do for you? He's going to go with you and in you and He's going to show up and you're going to do great and mighty things for the kingdom of God. But He ain't going to do it for you if you're hanging out in the bar. He ain't going to do it for you if you're hanging out down there shacking up with some other guy or gal. He ain't going to do those kind of things for you. You better purify yourself and if you will then, yes, your salvation is eternal to them that obey. Is that what he said? So he left himself out, didn't he? So if you disobey, just like that woman that told me this last week, I got saved. And my husband supposedly got saved. Of course, we weren't married, she said, at that time. And then we were living together and listening to that Christian music when I go walking down the street and the Lord speaks to me and tells me, You die in this sin, and that lines up with the scripture in many places. You die in this sin, you're going to bust hell wide open. Let me tell you, if everybody believed that today, they would stop doing what they're doing. If they really thought, just like that woman, she goes home and tells that man she's living with, it's over. You ain't laying a hand on me never again under no condition until you put a ring on my finger and I'm married to you. Other than that, you ain't touching me because God just told me if I die in this sin, I'm going to hell forever. And let me tell you, there ain't nothing nobody can do for you that's worth dying and going to hell forever. Is there? No. So let me tell you, it straightened that little girl up. It straightened her act up. Now then, was her salvation eternal? As long as she obeyed. But was she obeying? No. She was living in adultery. She was living in fornication. And of course, clearly, Galatians chapter 5, clearly talking to the Christian, says if you do all these things, Paul says, as I have told you before, and I now tell you again, those that live like this shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Scary, isn't it? As children of God, what do you think we ought to do? Straighten ourselves up and not sin and walk holy before it. And then one day when we do die, the king puts his arm around and says, Come in here, son. Let me welcome you home. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the beauty of this day. I thank you for what you're doing over there with Cheryl and all them children today. Lord, I thank you for all those men and women that helped her. Put all this stuff together and for all the people they gave. Ask you to bless every one of them abundantly. Lord, just bless them because they're out doing good works for the kingdom. Amen. Now, Father, I thank you for this magnificent word that you've given us that we can study this and look and see and know we have a sure foundation. We have eternal salvation, it's ours. All we've got to do is walk in obedience to your word. And we are so secure as we walk in obedience to your word that we will never sin. We'll walk holy in your presence. And we know that we'll be in your presence and we will reap all these rewards because we purified ourselves with the word of God and your blood. And we're going to walk holy and obedient to your word. And as we do, you're going to share your power with us And when we pray, you said, if your words abide in us and we abide in you, we can come and ask you what we want to. And you'll do it for us as obedient children. And, Lord, I thank you for those great and awesome promises. And I praise you and worship you. Now, Lord. As we pray for the people, ask you to bless them, whatever their need are. ask you to show them to repent of their sins. And then as we pray for them, I ask you to meet every need of every person here today and bless them during this wonderful season. Because you sent your son 2,000 years ago to give us this eternal salvation as long as we obey you. And Lord, I'm so grateful for what you did 2,000 years ago. And may we walk holy before you every day of our life. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen.